Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. I'm reading from the Gospel of Mark. To continue our worship series we've been in over the last several weeks together called The One of God's Own Choosing, we are by reading and contemplating these stories from the early chapters of Mark's gospel, the nature and character of Jesus the Christ. And for tonight, the title of our sermon, but really the theme for our whole service of worship is Jesus Needs Help. So starting in verse 7 of Mark chapter 3. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, hearing all that he was doing. They came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and the region around Tyre and Sidon and so on. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd so that they wouldn't crush him. For he had cured many so that all who had diseases pressed upon him to touch them. So whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God! But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder if he was shocked the first time he bumped up against the limitations of his adult humanity. Like the first time he realized that while he was God with us, he had deliberately shucked his divinity so that he could walk and worry and wonder authentically alongside us. And that was gonna mean there were certain things he just could not do. I mean, sure. Sometimes the divine power that he had mostly put in cold storage would leak out a little bit and he would shout down a demon or make a banquet out of a boy's box lunch. But other times, other times it felt like his solidarity with us weighed a thousand pounds. He could feel the earth's gravitational pull and the grave concerns of his human family dragging him downward, draining his energy. In those moments, he could feel the humanity pulsing in his exhaustion-induced migraine, protesting in every achy joint. 
and his body would say to his spirit, hey man, you're only human and you're not in your 20s anymore. (laughs) Slow down or you won't have enough juice to finish this race you've started. So that's when he knew he needed help. When the social networks of ancient Galilee spread the word about his teaching and healing and whatnot, and when the crowds poured in from distant places to get some of that whatnot for themselves and their beloveds, when it started to look like he wasn't going to make it through the whole waiting list before his own second coming, he must have had a come-to-Jesus moment with himself And isn't that meta? He had to face the reality he simply wasn't going to be able to do all that God had asked him to do all by himself. Welcome to the human race, Jesus. This is how we know you're one of us for real. So, from among his disciples, which refers to the many who were his dedicated students and had decided to follow him wherever he went, he hand-selected just 12 to designate as apostles, which simply means the sent ones, the ones he deployed to help with the workload These 12 he authorized and empowered to do the really big stuff, the announcement of God's reign, God's sovereignty over the whole world and its future, over every one of you and your future, and the overthrow of every little pea power that threatens any little piece of God's desired future, a.k.a. demons in the ancient parlance, recognizable to us as anything that pretends to own what actually already belongs to God, including you, including the world God still loves, including the future God wants and will have. Announce denounce. Not complicated, just hard. (laughs) And he thought, I guess he thought, he had 12 who could probably handle it. 12 is a good number. It's, you know, biblical. As in 12 tribes of Israel, an even dozen to align Jesus' mission with the ancient and ongoing mission of reconnecting God with God's people. And lately, there's some social psychological research that says 12 is the average capacity any human being has for very close relationships. You know, the kind where you rejoice and grieve and rage and really do life together. Twelve is about it for most of us. The text says he went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted. As simple as that. No interviews, no pee in a cup screenings, no calling of the references, but these were not just any 12. They were not an abstraction of 12. They were 12 actual people with names and birthdays and families of origin and jobs and skill sets and Enneagram numbers, each of them exactly themselves. 
which is why it's really too bad that the Gospels don't even agree on all their names. <laughs> Several among the original 12 having been mostly forgotten after a generation or two had passed. Oh, of course, some were pretty famous, more famous than the rest, and always, always remembered. In all these lists, Peter is always first, named Simon by his parents, renamed Rocky by Jesus. That's what Peter means, really. Rocky, who, like God before him, was big on nicknames, Jesus was. An underdog, this Peter, but with a big mouth, often wrong, never in doubt. One of Jesus's faves who turns his back on Jesus's suffering and receives the world's most famous forgiveness and the keys to the kingdom in an inexplicable show of irrational trust from the one he had said three times he never met in his life. That's Peter. And then those brothers, James and John, called by Jesus the nicknamer, Sons of Thunder, not because their fisherman daddy Zebedee was so impressive, but honestly because their mama embarrassed them at every party. She demanded special treatment for her boys, teaching them always to ask for more than they deserved. James and John, everybody, a.k.a. Boanerges, sons of that mother. Thomas, of course, you know, notoriously skeptical that the risen Jesus had stopped by while he was out getting takeout for everybody's dinner. He said he wouldn't believe it until he probed the wounds himself. Jesus soon after calling his bluff saying, you know, your fingers can't be worse than the nails they used to make the holes in the first place. Sick burn. That's Thomas. Matthew. The tax collector despised with white hot hatred by all his Israeli kin for collaborating with the empire. And Simon the Canaanian, probably Simon the Zealot from the other gospels lists, a neo-nationalist who would have rather killed a race traitor than work with one. And Judas, Judas always named last in these lists, the loaded gun on the mantle in act one that is guaranteed to go off before the curtain falls, who probably thinks he's doing the right thing or knows he's doing the wrong thing but justifies it because it's for the right reasons, whose catastrophic mistake is remembered forever, at least by we who are small enough to believe a person is defined by their worst decision ever. That's Judas, the Iscariot maybe a play on the Latin Sicarius, dagger man, a name for an assassin who stabs with a long knife. But what about all the others? You know, the ones we don't have memories for, the ones whose names get confused between the four gospels, the ones with no backstory, the mostly anonymous Bartholomew, the sir barely appearing in this film, Thaddeus, the other James, bless his heart, <laughs> apparently not a son of thunder, <laughs> Andrew, who is always and forever only Peter's little brother, <laughs> Philip, who has literally no lines in Matthew's, Mark's, or Luke's telling, but in John's gospel has the dubious honor of giving only wrong answers to all of Jesus' questions about how we're going to feed so many people with no grocery budget. 
those are the nobodies, the unknowns, the not remembered. You don't even remember their names right now if I asked you. <laughs> so see, the ones we know, we know for their fuck-ups. They're famous for being awful. <laughs> and the rest, well, they just don't even register in the Christian memory. But really, really, you got to wonder about Jesus' HR skills. <laughs> was this yet another example of his effort to fulfill God's plan bumping up against his clumsy, all-too-human limitations? Or, or did he, maybe, in his demi-dormant divinity, anticipate tonight? Anticipate tonight's service of worship in the Big Red Barn at the southeast edge of Fort Worth, Texas, during which we who are gathered will attempt to name and claim the extraordinary gifts and calling of God Almighty we have seen in one ordinary human being. That one being Jennifer Jacobson, our friend and companion on this path of faith. Did Jesus maybe choose those 12, the exact ones he wanted, knowing very well who they were, what they would do, how they would be remembered or not, thinking to himself, Jenny will feel right at home with this bunch. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it was me he had in mind. Maybe it was future Katie he imagined from that mountainside, and so he graciously picked some real screw-ups for his first crew. Some who would spend half their ministry with their foot in their mouth and the other half apologizing for it. Some who would spend a huge percentage of their time trying stuff that was frankly too hard for them and failing and screwing up their courage to try it again and some who would spend unnumbered days in a row waking up of a morning, wondering if what happened the day before was all a dream, feeling powerless to make anything that good happen ever again, <laughs> endlessly grateful that sometimes it works even when you can't understand how it did. Maybe it was for all our sakes that he chose at least a couple who hated each other, assuming that they would find a way to get along. And some who came from families of origin you just would not believe. And some who were seriously poor, seasonal workers. And some who, to be honest, never quite seemed to catch on to what he was doing, but just kept coming back day after day after day, coming back, determined to figure out what he was up to if it was the last thing they did. That figuring it out thing, that is still a part of it, right? Because no matter what you have been told, figuring out exactly what Jesus would do or what Jesus would have you do is almost never simple. His job description for the apostolate is almost as bad as his hiring practices. Mark says he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out. <laughs> 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 
Jennifer, honestly, I don't think there's a thing I could tell you about the ministry you've already been doing and which you will be doing starting tomorrow as our representative, newly ordained by the body of Christ as a minister of that same good news announcing, demon denouncing gospel that is not packed right into those two broad tasks. He appointed 12 to be with him and to be sent out. That job description given out on the mountainside, Jenny, that's what we need you to do now. First, to be with him, to stay close to Jesus, to listen and watch and pay attention to how he moves among his human family, how he talks and touches and laughs and cries, how he commiserates closely and how he steps back his beautiful choreography of care for the littlest, sickest, saddest, loneliest ones to be with him. That is the first part. And to be sent out, to keep your bag packed, to keep your sturdy shoes by the door, keep your phone charged, be ready for each new shift, each new patient in hospice, each new resident at the jail, each new spiritual refugee in the pew of your church, as well as the ones who say they will never come into a place with pews again. Being ready to meet them wherever they are, deployed as you are by Jesus to carry the good news of God's sovereignty wherever it is most needed and empowered to disrupt the pretensions of any system or power or person that takes from God what belongs to God, to keep your mind and your body and your spirit healthy, strong in the strength that God supplies, to be sent out. That is the second part. And Jennifer, maybe if we're lucky, you and me, we will be among the ones whose names are mostly forgotten. <laughs> the anonymous sent ones who did our best and then faded quietly from the memories of subsequent generations because sometimes that's what saying yes to Jesus looks like, like just doing the work, finding the people, offering the gospel, Never quite sure that you are the right one for the job, but hey, Jesus called you, and Jesus can't be all wrong, right? So you go to bed every night, exhausted by the weight of the world God still loves, and all your best attempts to love it too, and you wake up every morning wondering if it's all just a dream, this blessed life of perpetually being with Jesus and perpetually sent out by Jesus, the rhythm of days determined by his own living spirit within you. And I'm telling you, Jenny, it is. It is a dream. It's God's dream for you and for me and for all who recognize that Jesus still needs our help to accomplish all that God has asked him to do. And we're so glad that you've said yes to that and that now your church gets our chance to say yes to you as well. 
May yours be a life filled with the assurance that what you've been asked to do, you can, with God's help and in plenty of company, the famous screw-ups and the forgotten faithful. All of us together, Jesus' hands and feet in a world that needs what we've got. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.